Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this time that we've set aside for you. We thank you, Lord, that we can make you a priority within our schedules, not only just on our Sunday mornings, but we can take time daily just to seek your face, to worship you, to, to incline our ear to heaven, to listen for your instruction and your input into each and every area of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that it's just not Sunday mornings is just not enough. We need you each and every hour. Every hour we need you. And so we just, right now as we've set this special time on Sunday morning, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you just take hold with us as you already have in worship today. But now as we open the word, we know that we need your revelation, Holy Spirit, of what your thoughts on it were. And so right now we open our hearts to receive from that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move some things around this morning. Uh, you know, sometimes when you put messages together, you're like, oh, this is the way you're going to go. And then you get up there and it's like, well, that just doesn't make sense. You know, you got to go this way, swap it all around. And last week, we, we didn't even get to our message. We ended up just following the Holy Spirit and going a different direction. And we ended up just ministering to everybody in here that day, laying hands on the congregation, which I don't think we've ever, ever just taken a whole service and done that in 22 years. So it's just to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about connection for the three weeks leading up to, obviously we were off last week, but we've been talking about connection and what you connect yourself to. And one of the things that you can tell what you're connecting yourself to is what your expectations are. You know, for a lot of Christians, there's absolutely zero expectation of anything other than the status quo and the usual happening in their lives. Well, we, we get these sayings that they get, they get in, in into our, our lives, even as Christians, that the world, oh, well, whatever happens, happens, or it is what it is. You know, that you don't have to put up with what is. You can go ahead and speak, as, as Mark 11 says, to speak to the mountain and command it to move, and it shall obey you. And so we can get into the, these, uh, these ruts of just living like the world. You know, there, there should look, look a difference between what the world is and what we are. You know, I, I was reading a long time ago now just uh, historical records of the early church and, and what non-Christian people were saying about them. And th one of the things that there's uh, um, one of the early uh, Jew Jewish historians was writing down, he was talking about how Christians, that their lives were marked with joy, even in the face of death. And I'm like, I think about that, I'm like, some Christians, I'm like, have you ever smiled in your life? You know, can you tell your face about how good God is? Because I think it's forgotten. And they was just like, even in the, in the midst of extreme persecution and hardship, there was a joy that would still come over them. And I think we need to get back to things like that and not living like the world. But what is your expectation? You know, we've talked about how hope is an expectation of good things to come. And so you can tell what you've connected yourself to based upon what your expectations are. Amen? And so why don't we go over to Acts chapter 3 this morning. Acts chapter 3. And this is a great story because we've been talking in Luke 5 about the calling of Peter. And here's what happens with Peter after that moment of restoration that Jesus has with him in John 21. And after the infilling of the Holy Spirit, this is the immediate next story. It says in John chapter, or Acts chapter 3 verse 1, it says, And Peter and John went up together at the temple at the hour of prayer, which is the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, 
was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate, which is called Beautiful, so that he could ask alms from those who entered the temple. And so this man that they've laid here daily for a long time at this, at this gate, he is a legal beggar. He would have to be registered with the temple to, in order to be there to ask alms. And so this is something, he, he's gone out of his way to be able to be in this position to be able to ask for donations from those who pass by. And it says, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said to him, look at us. And this next verse is so important to the trajectory of this story. It says this in verse 5. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He didn't know what he was going to get from them, but there was an expectation in him that he was getting something. Maybe they were going to give him a little gold. Maybe they were giving him a little silver. Maybe they were going to give him a little food or whatever it is they had. He didn't know what he was going to get from them, but there was an expectation that he was going to get something. His heart was open to receive. I I think that that's a good start for Christians. We should be open that we're actually going to receive something from the Lord. Come on. A closed door receives no visitors. There should be an expectation that rises up on the inside of us. Come on, we're in the Christmas season, and Jesus came to this earth. And it said that there would be peace on earth. There should be an expectation in our hearts that there's going to be peace in my life, even in the midst of the turmoil and the chaos of the world. There should be an expectation that I don't have to just go with the flow. No, I'm going to set my own flow with the flow of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to let righteousness, joy, and peace be about me because that's what comes from the Holy Spirit. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Now, you might think that this is just the default setting for someone who's begging. I can tell you it's not. You know, back in the summer, uh, Bennett and I, we took a daddy day. I like to take the boys out every once in a while. It's like, well, we'll take a day off school, and you can spend the day just fully dedicated with me. We'll go do what you like to do. And so Bennett plays baseball, so we said, hey, let's, let's go down, and we'll go downtown Ottawa to Bank Street. We'll go to baseball town. It's got all the things that you love. We can look at all the fancy gloves that I'm not going to buy you. Because, man, they, they get expensive, you know. You're just going from different grades of leather, they go lots and lots of price and so we we can go look at them and so he was looking and then we said okay let's walk down bank street and we will we will uh, see what's going on maybe we'll find some food along the way it's a good place to eat and I hadn't been in that area of town for a while and I was amazed at how the homelessness has really taken off but the thing that struck me the most was that there was people with signs please you know give anything helps but they were completely disconnected from everybody walking by. I went by one, and I looked down at the guy, and the guy looked away from me. And I'm like, there was no expectation in him. He was fearful. And so when we see this story that this man had an expectation that he was going to receive something from him, that's a status of his heart because it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe yesterday no one gave him something. 
You know, we don't know what the days leading up to this moment looked like for him. But on this day, his heart was open to receive. And it says he was expecting to receive something from them. And having an expectation in your heart will move you into the realm of miracles. That's what Keith Moore has been saying for years. Expectation is the breeding ground of miracles. Why? Because you first have to be open. There has to be some sort of stirring within your heart before you ever step into miracles. Come on, we can look at the woman with the issue of blood. We sung about it in Tear Off the Roof today. She said, I'm not here just to hide in the crowd. I'm pressing through. You don't press through unless there's an expectation in your heart to receive something. And so if you're expecting to receive nothing, it shows in your actions. You sit back and those who expect nothing receive nothing. Man, I think it's interesting that when we look at churches that don't believe that miracles are for us today, you notice something? They don't ever have miracles in their church. Why? Because they expect nothing. But this man was expecting that morning. And Peter said to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus. Everyone say that, the name of Jesus. That's what we were singing about at the end. In the name of Jesus. It's not your goodness and it's not your holiness that will make things happen, but the name of Jesus does. He said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately, immediately, Oh, I love how the Holy Spirit just takes hold right with them. Immediately, his feet and his ankle bones receive strength. And so, leaping up, he stood and he walked and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Come on, he wasn't able to walk a few moments ago. He was laid daily at the, de- the, get- the gate of the temple. Laid there. But when he, the power of God hit him, he went in walking and leaping and praising God. Why? Because when something good happens, you celebrate about it. Man, they, they, we don't need to hide the goodness of God. And it says all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now, in verse 11, it says, Now, as the lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John. I like that. He held on. He's like, if that was, what you, if that was our introduction, what else do you got? I'm sticking here with you. I'm coming, I'm coming along. You're going to the temple. I'm going in there too. It says when he held on to Peter and John, all of the people ran together to them in the porch, which was called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. And he said, men of Israel... Why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? It says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and you denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. It says, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life whom God raised up from the dead and of which we are witnesses. Come on, I just wanted to point this part out because this shows the boldness of Peter because just a few days before this, 
He's rejected Jesus three times in one night before the rooster crowed. And after it, he's feeling dejected. He's feeling separated. And Jesus came to him and he said, Peter, do you love me? And he says, you know I do, Jesus. He said, feed my sheep. What he was saying is the calling from Luke chapter 5, I have not changed my mind. You need to reconnect yourself to it because you may have gone through some stuff, but I haven't changed my mind. And maybe you're in that position in your life. You've gone through some stuff, but God hasn't changed his mind about you. God has not withdrawn his hand. His mercy and his grace are upon you even to this day. Don't let go of your connection because of how you feel. I don't walk by my feelings. I don't walk by my sight. I walk by faith. Reconnect yourself. And so Peter, just a few days before this, had withdrawn, and Jesus came and said, No, Peter, I've not changed my mind. Now, the people that Peter denied Jesus to are the people in this story. Where's Peter? He's at the temple. Who did he deny him before? The high priest and his friends. Where do they work? At the temple. And so just a few days prior, Peter wasn't even willing to admit, I'm with Jesus. And now here he's standing up saying, this happened because of Jesus and you killed him. Come on. All of that fear of man was lost. And he says, you killed the prince of life, whom God has raised from the dead and of which we are witnesses. And in verse 16 it says, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. What he was saying is, through a connection to Jesus, that's what has made this man well. And that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about connection. And connection is just another way of talking about faith. Faith connects to the promises of God. Faith lays hold of what he has said and acts like it's true because it is. God's words are more true than other things that you may see and be able to grab hold tangibly. There is what is physical within this world and then there's the things of the spirit which God has said they're higher than what you may perceive. And he says, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and you know, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of your, you all. And so the man, he just keeps going on praising God, and it gets the attention of the leaders of the temple. And they come and they grab Peter and John, and they begin to interrogate them about this. And they just keep talking to him, and they talk to the lame man, and he's like, hey... I'm healed. I don't know what to say, but I'm healed. And they bring Peter and John in there, and they begin to say, okay, what are you guys doing? And they hear the story, and they come to themselves at the end. And this is next chapter, chapter 4, verse 16. And they say, what shall we do to these men? Come on. What shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. And it's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. My question is, why would you want to? At what point do you let the hardness of your heart go and realize, through all of my religion, through all of my rule-keeping, I've not been able to attach myself to any of that. 
And this man, through faith in the name of Jesus, has done that very thing. What do we do to these guys? We can't deny it. And they said, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Think about that. They didn't stay, say stop preaching. They said stop talking about Jesus. And when we examine ourselves and our lives, where is Jesus in the mix? How much do we talk about everything that's going on versus how much do we talk about Jesus? How much do we think about the problem versus how much do we actually think about the one who solved the problem? They didn't say stop preaching. They didn't say stop gathering. They said stop speaking in the name because in the name is where there is power. And so they called them and commanded them to not speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. They said, should we listen to God or we should listen to the dribble coming out of your mouth? He says, for we cannot speak but the things which we have seen and which we have heard. Oh, come on. He's like, I'm not planning on shutting up about Jesus anytime soon. Such as I have, I'll give unto you. In the name of Jesus, you get up and walk. And so when they would further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. And I love what they did. They left from there, and they went back to their own company, and they didn't say, oh, we got to stop preaching Jesus. No, they said this. They began to pray, and they said, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants with all boldness that we'll speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of the Holy Servant Jesus. And so we got to make much of the name of Jesus. Come on, Pastor Wendy, come here. She's going to tell you a story. You know the one I'm talking about from when you were coming back from uh, uh, Ashland. And uh, you got into a tight spot with the car. Oh, yeah. Come on, yeah. tell the people that. Yes, well, we were traveling home. We were, it was about 14 hours driving from Virginia. I had four other ladies in the car with me. And we were coming through Watertown. And the car that I was driving at the time had the, the you know, like the fender skirts halfway down the tires. You know what I mean? I don't know. Okay. So anyways, we were just coming out of Watertown. And uh, a jackrabbit ran across the road in front of us. And I hit him. And I had been driving for like 12 hours, and I bawled and bawled. And, but anyways, a few minutes later, I heard thump, 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 thump. And the, the fender skirt thing on the wheel had fallen down and had ripped the tire completely off, like just shredded it. We got to the side of the road, and we just kind of sat there. We'd been praying and driving for hours, right? And I just thought, Lord, we need something. We, we need some help. And so immediately, a guy pulls up in a white car pulls up in front of us, and he says, do you need some help? And I'm like, yes, Lord. So anyways, he puts this little donut tire on our car. And so we, we get back on, and we're traveling along, and we're kind of four ways on, just going slow. We thought, I don't know, we're just going to go home, you know? And we're driving along, and we're just praying, and we're just speaking the name of Jesus and prophesying over this little tire 
was what was coming out of our hearts, right? And we're like, we just, we just speak to that tire right now. We just command it to remain full. We just, we're going home. And we just command those nuts and everything. Like, we're just going home. We just speak the name of Jesus over it right now. And we just, we kept going. And finally, we seen a rest stop that had uh, bathrooms. <laughs> and we stopped and we pulled in. And all four or five of us ran into the bathroom. We came back out and I looked at the tire and it was like, right on the right on the edge and so we grabbed our pillows and had to sleep but anyways but that tire when Robin and his brother David came to to fix and change our tire um there was only like half a turn left on two of the lug nuts that was holding that tire on and keeping us on the road it's in the name of Jesus right that, that things happen. When we're driving, God can, I've driven in a car where all of a sudden you're going down, there's cars on this side and a transport coming on this way, and our car went, whoop. no kidding. If you think of a, 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 a cartoon or whatever, that's what our car did. There is no way we should have made it through it. But God in his presence, that when we enforce his name, miracles happen. Things that are impossible become possible, right? Accidents that happen that, that should have been devastating, you walked away. Amen? And so it's in the name of Jesus that as we enforce it, that tangible things can change. Tires can stay on. Cars can be in the right place, in the right position. Another time we were following, like these other ladies, we were our car in a van, and we came in off a, an off-ramp from a stop, and the, the, the van in front of us, as he we were driving, she pulled out right in between, sandwiched in these 18-wheelers. And we just called out, Jesus, oh my goodness, we're watching it. They're driving through it, but it, that's what happened. And they drove away. What is on your lips when you get into a tight spot? Is it Jesus comes out? Do I cry out to my deliverer, the one that miracles happen through? Or the opposite can also be true. I've, I know a lot of people that when, when things get tight, they curse the name of Jesus. You know, I smash that thumb with my hammer and... Jesus, you know, it doesn't come out in a positive way. If it can come out in a negative way, we should be so full of the name of Jesus that whatever comes before us in the day, no, my Jesus has got that, that in the name of Jesus, he delivers me in every circumstance. And so he says, Lord, grant unto us boldness, and by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done in the name of the holy servant Jesus. And it says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they what? They spoke the word of God with boldness. Why? Because they expected that what they asked for was going to come, and it did. Come on, let's get back to what we were talking about, expectation. The man was expecting to receive something from Peter and John. What are you expecting in this season? i got to tell you, for 2024, I've got my expectations way up. If we're talking about connecting to the promises of God, I've got some great expectations for 2024. 2023 has been a great year for me, but I'm not settling for what I've had. I'm stretching my expectation, and I believe things are going to go even further 
further in my personal life, in this church, and in my ministry across Canada. I don't, I'm not settling for what 2023 is old. What are your expectations for this up-and-coming year? Are you going to have more of the same old, same old? Are you going to let it be what it is? Or are you going to declare what it is and raise your expectation? And so we've been talking about connecting. Connecting to what the Lord has said. And we've been preaching out of Luke chapter 5. I'm kind of preaching this message backwards. We've been talking about Luke chapter 5, which is the calling of Peter and James and John. And it really focuses on Peter. And what happens is Jesus comes along. He's along the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd is thronging him. And he asks Peter, can I borrow your boat? Can we push out a little bit? And he begins to teach the crowd. And when he has do is done, he says to Peter, he says, Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And when Jesus had come, come to them the first time, they were sitting there mending their nets. So we know they have multiples. And what Peter connects to the command of God, getting back to our message here, what Peter connects to the command of God, which was launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch, the first thing Peter connects to it is, we've been out here all night, Jesus, and we've caught nothing. What he's saying is, I'm tired. We fish at night, not during the day. I'm the fisherman. You're not. I know what I'm doing. And so the first thing that Peter connects to the command of God is how he feels physically and what he understands naturally. And then at least he had enough sense to say, but nevertheless, I'll let down a net. He, he said he wasn't willing to go all the way obedient, but thank God he was at least willing to let down one net. But the promise that Jesus had given was for nets, not net. And so we see next as he lets down that net and it begins to get filled to overflowing so that the net begins to break and the boat begins to sink. Why? Because it was meant for nets, not net. And that's why we need to be obedient to the full extent of our ability. When God asks us to do something, go ahead and be willing to go all the way with it. Don't go halfway. And so Peter first connected his feelings, and then he was halfway obedient, and the Lord still blessed him all the way. And it's so much marked on, on Peter that he came down, he threw himself down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, meaning I'm sorry I was not fully obedient, I was not trusting in your power, but I was trusting in my understanding. Well, what does the book of Proverbs say? It says, lean not to your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. We don't lean to our own understanding. But I said this last week, that that was, a, or two weeks ago, that became a benchmark moment in Peter's life. And it was the foundation of that story in Luke 5 that Jesus used to restore Peter in John 21. Where after Jesus had risen from the dead, the disciples didn't know what to do with themselves. Peter was down in the dumps because of his rejection of Jesus. And so he says to his friends, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're coming too. And so they go out, and the, it says that they weren't far from shore. It tells us they were about 300 feet offshore. And along comes Jesus walking on the water. And it says they had fished all night, and they'd caught nothing. And Peter is sitting there, stripped off his clothes, fishing in the nude. 
And Jesus calls out and says, hey, have you caught anything? And they're like, no. And he said, throw, throw your net out the side. He reminds Peter of his partial obedience. Throw your net out the side for a catch. And so he did it. And it says the net was filled with 153 large fish. And that they pulled it to the shore and it says the net did not break. Why? Because Jesus in that story said, let down your net. And Peter was obedient to let down your net. And so he reminded Peter of the story. And I said that became a benchmark moment. What is a benchmark moment? A benchmark moment is something that you begin to measure and judge everything else against. When God comes through in your life and you see miracles, you remember those things. And the next time a situation shows up, you act differently because, no, no, this is how he came through in the past. I'm not going to, to look to what the world responds to. I'm going to respond because I believe in miracles. I set that as the measuring tape, and I let the Lord begin to exceed that. And so uh, Joanne asked a great question after, after when we were talking to you. She said, what are some benchmark moments in my life? And I said to her, there's several different ones, and I told her one story two weeks ago, but in different areas of my life that as you learn to walk by faith, the Lord exceeds your expectations. And sometimes you have to push the boundaries of what that benchmark was. Okay, I've gone this far, I'm now expecting further. And uh, I was thinking uh, last week after she had asked me that, I'm like, what, what would be some more meaningful benchmarks? And in different situations, different ones come to mind. I, I've told the story in the past in regards to healing when I, when I blew out my knee playing hockey in, uh, in college and I had no coverage down in the States. For when it comes to healing, I always think back to that moment. I limped around for several days. I couldn't go to the hospital. I couldn't go back to Canada. And, and it was like, what am I going to do? Am I either going to believe God or I'm not? And I chose to believe God, and I took off running in that service, and by the time I got around the corner, my knee was completely healed, and I was back on. Whenever healing, I need healing in my body, I remember that moment. It's not while I'm sitting there hoping to be healed. It's when I step out in faith that the Lord takes hold with me. Again, no expectation, no miracles. But I was thinking about another one that I haven't told this story in a while and I think it's, it's definitely one of the biggest benchmarks of my life. And uh, when Robin and I were shortly, we had been married a little, uh, a year or two, I think at that point, we began to look for our first home. We, we were living in an apartment. We had, Bennett was about to come along, I think at that point. And uh, we were like, we need more space. And so we began house shopping. And uh, this house came up on the highway and I drove by it and it just something just pricked in my heart that it was like, you need to go look at that house. And so I pulled up the listing, and I came to find that it was a, it was a bank-owned house. It had been seized by the bank. It was in rough shape. And, uh, but there was potential there. And uh, I began to look, and I began to talk to Toph about it. I'm like, hey, we should maybe flip this house. You know, I think it would be a good opportunity. We could do this and this and this and this. And I remember I, I, I was like, I felt like, a, okay, call the, call the real estate, the agent. You know, we had been working with an agent. We had been looking at other houses. And I felt, call the agent and go look at it inside. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that. It's got a, it needs a lot of work. And so I pulled over myself, and I peeked in the windows, and I saw things, and I was like, okay, we'll do this, we'll do this. We know it needs new HVAC. We know it needs a new septic and stuff like that. And we could probably get it for this amount of money 
and then we could probably sell it for this amount of money. And I started thinking, I'm like, oh, that's great. But I kept saying to myself, I don't want to do the work. I kept saying, I don't want to do the work. And the Holy Spirit kept saying to me, go and look at it. Go and look at it. And I dragged my feet for about a month, and we were out looking at another house just around the corner from there. And it was like, the, it felt like that, that pressure of, you know, go look had lifted by that point. And so I just said to the real estate agent, I'm like, what about this house around the corner? And she's like, oh, I just sold that yesterday. And I was like, okay, sorry, Holy Spirit. I was too slow and I dragged my feet on it. And I said, well, what did it go for? And she's like, well, it went like 10,000 less than what I thought. And on top of that, the bank was going to put in the HVAC. I believe Brandon installed it. And they put in a new septic at their cost. And then the people that bought it, they went in and they did half the work that we were expecting it. And they sold it for more money. About It was like about $110,000 or $120,000 of profit. And you say, well, how is this a benchmark moment in my life? Because in that moment, I understood the Lord can bless you and increase you if you're willing to get up off your butt and do the work when he tells you to move. Because a lot of the time, blessing comes dressed in overalls and looks like work. And that has stood as a benchmark moment in my life because when I look at things now, I'm like, if we do the work, what's it going to be? Don't be so lazy. I'm just going to say that. I was being lazy in that moment. I didn't want to do the work. That you miss out on how God is trying to bless you if you're willing to step out. Come on. I've been able to apply that to my life in so many ways and in ministry. Ministry is work. And there's been a lot of times over the last 15 years like, I don't want to do that. Guess what? On the other side of the work is the blessing that you've been waiting for. And so whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do, get out and do it because there's blessing on the other side you can't say oh lord how come you haven't blessed me and he's saying i haven't got you been able to get you to move as that story continues we looked we looked after that for about three or four more months i think after missing out on that opportunity because i wasn't willing we we had signed an agreement on another house and it fell through and i was disappointed in that one we tried to get a deal on another one and then we walked away with because the holy spirit said don't do it (laughs) And our real estate agent was so mad at us that she dropped us as clients. But if the Holy Spirit says, don't do it, there's a reason for it. And I know driving by that house several times after, there was a lot of construction workers there. There was something about that house that we didn't know that somebody else had to find out. That's why we have to trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't get yourself into problems that you didn't need to walk through. And so it was a little bit after that. I think we took a break for a month or two after that. That one fell through. And uh, then Robin sent me the listing for this house. And I pulled it up, and I immediately said, well, that's too small. It's ugly, and it's a lot of work. (laughs) And as soon as I said that, the Holy Spirit said, and you should go and look at it. And so we pulled up, and I, I can't say that I had much expectation about it from the pictures, but as we walked through the front door, it was like I walked in and felt at home. And I looked and I said, well, that color's ugly. we got to fix that. Those floors are disgusting. The guy had been changing his oil on his motorcycle inside his house. It's like, well, those floors need to come up. But there was a sense of peace and a sense of home. 
And we lived in that house probably about a year and a half, two years, and we ended up selling it for a very big blessing. You know, we made a lot of money off that house. Because when we listen to the Lord, he'll lead you into places of blessing. But you have to be willing to connect what he tells you to connect to. If he says go, go. If he says stop, stop. If he says go out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch, you let it down. And so that's become a benchmark moment in my life because I now look back and say, oh, yeah, that's right. I can't be afraid of the work. I can't be afraid of the obedience because the blessing is on the other side. That's what we mean when we say it's a benchmark moment. And you can look and say, well, I don't have those faith victories in my life. Go ahead and start a life journey of faith, and you'll get those benchmark moments. And he will go above and beyond. Just another story. I don't know. We're just telling stories this morning. That's good. Um, shortly after we had married, we, uh, which is 13 years ago tomorrow, <laughs> We had just gotten married, and we began to look at our finances, and we had nothing. <laughs> we were making nothing, and we were looking at, okay, car debt, personal debt, school debt, and we were like $50,000 in debt starting out our marriage, and I don't even think we were making half that. You weren't working. I was barely working at that time. And we said to ourselves, like, this is not how God has intended for us to start out our marriage together. Now, debt is a burden. Come on. The Bible says, owe no man anything but to love. You know, don't let debt become a burden. And, and so we said to each other, like, this is not what God has intended. We need to believe God out of this situation. And so we prayed together and we said, God, we don't know how you're going to do this because we don't even make this in a year. But we believe that this is going to get paid off. And it was just a few days later, someone contacted Robin and was like, hey, you, you want a job that works online from home? And that was such a blessing. And through that, got, uh, lots of opportunities just kept opening up where I was making double what I was before and, and other opportunities on top of that. And within two months, we had paid off that entire $50,000 in debt only making about $30,000 a year. And so you look back at moments like that, it's like it doesn't matter how big the mountain, we got to remember how big our God is. And it doesn't matter how many doors you see closed, you don't know how many he can open. And so when we talk about a life of faith and believing, God has said that he has given unto you all things that pertain to life and godliness. What is it that you're actually believing for? What is it you're going to... Let your faith rise up and your expectations step out and grab hold of. What are you connecting to? As we said when we were ending off two weeks ago, Paul told Timothy, he said, fight the good fight of faith. And so, so many Christians don't like the idea that sometimes they're going to have to put a little action and a little effort into their journey with God. He said, fight the good fight. He didn't say, wait the good fight. He said, fight the good fight. And he said, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and you have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He said, go ahead and lay hold of the things of eternity that God has brought into your life. We told you that those words, eternal life, is Ionis Zoe, which is without beginning and without end, the God quality and the God kind of life. 
He says, go ahead and lay hold of that which has no beginning and which has no end and is the God quality of life. We don't have to wait to the sweet by and by to live in the blessings of God. You already stepped into Christ Jesus at salvation. And so I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. And out of the Amplified Version, he says, For my determined purpose, determined purpose, that is active language. It is an active pursuit that Paul has. My determined purpose is that I may know him and that I may progressively become more and more deeply and intimately acquainted with him perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. First, before we move on to the second half of that verse, let's just think about that. He said, my determined purpose is that I may know him. At this point in Paul's journey, this is the book of Philippians. It's a prison epistle. He's already written most of his regular epistles. The only ones he has yet to write are his personal letters to Timothy, his pastoral epistles. He's already done most of his life's mission and journey at this point, and yet his pursuit is still that I may know him. Meaning, I, when you don't settle for what you've known in the past, keep pursuing and leaning into the person of God, because as you knew him before, there's deeper ways of becoming to know him even more and more, and understanding and perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person. But it says, and, which is a connecting word, and connects these together, and that I may in the same way, what way? More progressively and more intimately, having understanding and perceiving more deeply, the same way that I may come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection. You can become more acquainted with the power of God than you've been in the past. You can come to understand it more than you have in the past as you have that active pursuit because that's what faith is. Faith is a verb. It is an action word. And so if it doesn't express, if it doesn't act, if it doesn't expect, if it doesn't move, it's not faith. And so he says, and that I may also in the same way come to share in his sufferings and as to be continually transformed in his spirit into his likeness, even to his death in the hope that if possible, I may attain to the same spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. I like that. You get to experience the things of heaven even while you're still in the body. And he says, and now, not that I've now attained this ideal or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of or connect to or grasp and make my own that for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has laid hold of me. And so connection is God has always got a connection with you. Where is your connection with him? Where is your connection with him? 
Have you grabbed hold of what he said? Do you actually believe that what he said is true for you as a son and a daughter of God? I hope you do, because what Moses told the people of Israel, he said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. He said, you can have a great life. You can choose life and blessing, but the choice isn't in God's hands. So if you're waiting for him to make the decision for you, he won't. He said, choose. You choose means to decide for. As we wrap up here this morning, in Psalm chapter 78, the psalmist talks about the children of Israel, and it says this about them. How often they provoked him in the wilderness, and they grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again, they tempted or they tested God, and what did they, because of doing that, it says they limited the Holy One of Israel. I, for one, don't want to put limits on him. Come on, think about that. Me, through my faith and my restrictions, put limits upon what the Lord can do. Come on, you got to think about that story of the children of Israel. Those ones that put the limits on never stepped into the promise. They all died in the wilderness. But they weren't called to the wilderness. They were called to the promised land. But through what they were willing to connect themselves to, they limited where they could go. Take the limits off. Amen. Pastor Robin, why don't you bring us in for a close this morning? Well, we'll, we'll close with this, uh, with taking up the offering. <laughs> so, see, we're telling stories. <laughs> um, for me, in, in giving... Tithing has never been an issue. For me, 10% is not an issue. It's always been, that's so easy to do and just automatically do it. It's beyond that. It's into the giving portion, which God will bless. See, I look back over my life of giving, and I see the, the giving portion being God said to throw, give some nets, amount of whatever. And I would normally just do a net. It's just, you know, instead of doing the nets, so I, you don't get the fullness of the blessing because not being completely obedient. You know, so, and, and so, like, again, in giving, uh, when God says, you know, yeah, the tithe is good. You know, you, you got the blessings of the tither, which I do. We live in the blessings of the tither. And then we go into the giving portion of it, and there's a blessing of the giving, which could be greater than. It's, I, I think it's just, it's so much greater than just even the tithes, the, the blessings of the tither. Because this is what God is. Because it's God's nature. Amen? It's how God shows his love is in his giving. Because he gave his son. Amen? Amen. So as, as you consider that, let's, let's say this saying together. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best. Grow. I sow you to strength 
spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Word care team, can we have you up here, please? So if you want to get ministered to, have some prayer, uh, Garnet and Doreen are available this morning. Please take advantage of that. Amen? Amen. And we still have some coffee left and so on. Did you have something else? Okay. All right. All right. Amen. You are blessed.